Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast. This episode is presented by Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We're your co-hosts, Terry and Bridget. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore the different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We're not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing personal experiences, we can all learn from each other that while depression convinces us that we're utterly alone, that our best days are in the past, and that we won't experience joy or hope again, those thoughts are symptoms, not truths. Hearing others shamelessly discuss their mental health journeys provides information, connection, and hope, taking away some of depression's power. Hello, Terry Mary. Hello, Bridget. So today we continue our three-episode series on the stigma of mental illness. We began last week with an interview with a leading stigma researcher whose work proves the value of shared first-person stories in fighting misconceptions about depression and other mood disorders. Today, we ask previous guests if they've experienced or feared any prejudice or discrimination based on their diagnoses and what the real-life consequences of stigma have been for them. Next week, we'll look at how the lives of people with any kind of mental health challenge would be better and safer if stigma was reduced or eliminated. Stigma is well documented as a roadblock to recovery. In fact, I looked it up in the dictionary, and the definition is a mark of disgrace. (laughs) Seriously, that's what it said. A mark of disgrace, a stain or reproach on one's reputation. When I looked it up in the thesaurus, it said capital S-H-A-M-E. All in caps, it spelled shame plus dishonor, humiliation, and bad reputation. I honestly, I don't think I've ever seen anything in all caps that wasn't an acronym. No, me either. It really says it all. Wow. It's worth noting there are different kinds of stigma. Quoting from research published by our guest from last week, Dr. Patrick Corrigan, people with mental illness have long experienced prejudice and discrimination. Public stigma is the most prominent form observed and studied. It represents prejudice and discrimination directed at a group by the larger population. And then there's self-stigma, which occurs when a person internalizes these public attitudes and suffers numerous negative consequences as a result. Hmm. We have compiled some comments from past interviews when we asked guests if they've seen evidence of stigma in their own lives. Here's a sampling of some of their answers. Is there a stigma? Absolutely. And, and it's, it's a stigma that I think really is starting to shift, but I think it, it prevents us from getting where we need to be with depression. Stigma is alive and well. People are still discriminated against and they feel they don't have access to services. They, when they do have services, they often feel they aren't treated kindly and respectfully. I think I've experienced a stigma just in that it isn't something people generally talk about. People will talk about other mental health issues, um, especially growing up. I remember like 
hearing about ADHD or hearing about like seasonal affective disorder, um, but not really as much about depression. I have never felt comfortable telling any of my employers that I have depression for like the fear of them not hiring me, me being a complication or them considering that I am unreliable. Yeah, I feel like there's a real association with like either laziness or people thinking that like, okay, if there are days where someone is feeling particularly low and says that they can't, that, that there's some argument against that. And I think that that's where the stigma comes in. We can really relate to that feeling of, I can't, I just can't, which of course includes a range of what we can't do depending on the person, the day, and the severity of our depression. The can't can be just, I can't go to the movie, I can't go to the party. Or it can be, I can't be who you'd like me to be right now. I can't be bubbly or engaged or humorous or whatever someone's expecting of us. It can be, I can't make the meeting, I can't make the deadline, I can't get out of bed, I can't shower, I can't imagine going through another day feeling or not feeling this way. It can be any of those things and lots of others. It boils down to people not being able to reveal a part of themselves, sometimes an overwhelming part of themselves, for fear of being judged. Stigma may cause some people to try to avoid, separate from, or suppress what they're experiencing, all of which is linked to the worsening of well-being. Here again are some of our guests' firsthand experiences with stigma. It's never treated as, okay, here's this information, now let's deal with it in the appropriate way. That was never the first step. The first step was always judgment. Now it's more out there, but you still have the stigmas. You know, there's a lot of, um, like I said earlier, a lot of shame around it. One of the hardest times I've experienced with the depression was when I was pregnant. That was one of the times when there was the most stigma for me to talking about it. Because to say that you're depressed when you're pregnant, I mean, people just like do not understand that. I think in sort of my own intersections of like being a queer identified person, being a person who goes to church, both of those spaces are ones um, where depression isn't always spoken of. But it's hard to talk about and it's not polite conversation. It's not sexy. It's not the sort of like, ooh, kind of topic. Uh, Which then lends a stigma to it because if we can't talk about it, then there's a reason we're not talking about it. And if, as Reed says, we believe there's a reason we're not talking about depression, the obvious next logical leap is that there's something wrong with it, or wrong with us. In the article, Eight Reasons Why Depression Shouldn't Be Stigmatized, written by Caitlin Flynn from Bustle, an online magazine, Flynn writes, many people still try to pretend that depression doesn't exist or that a depressed person can be talked out of it. Treating depression as a personal problem instead of a real illness can lead depressed people to avoid seeking professional help and instead blame themselves for their depression. Simply put, depression is a serious illness, not a sign of weakness or a character flaw. Even if you never experienced clinical depression, you're bound to encounter plenty of people in your life who are currently suffering or have suffered in the past even if they haven't told you about it. 
So it's important to fight against stigmatization, even if you think it has nothing to do with your life. It's not theoretical that fear of discrimination or judgment discourages many from getting needed support or treatment. And if you ask people with depression, like we did, you're likely to hear comments like these. Everyone has different information and not all of it's correct. Uh, There's so many problems with having the stigma. Obviously, the rate of suicide in teens, the the, the broken hearts of of people who don't understand what's happening to their their parents, to their siblings, to their kids. Even, I I think, can dare to say of like some of these like instances of mass shootings or really severe violent crimes too, where people, if they had access to and did not feel like going to go see a therapist meant that they had to make some sort of admission of weakness, that things would be a lot different. It perpetuates depression in that, like, if you can't talk about it, you can't get out of it, and you can't see that there are shared experiences. I would say my whole life I've never really told people that I had depression. The way that people think, well, I'm not crazy, like, I'm not suicidal or something like that, why would I have to go and see a therapist? Unfortunately, it took me getting to a place of desperation before I was able to move past that stigma. I don't want people to think that they can't reveal uh, what's really going on with them until, you know, they want to kill themselves. That last point, yeah, is one we really want to unpack a bit. Think of any other potentially fatal illness, including heart disease or cancer. Information and prevention efforts are well-known, widely disseminated, and widely discussed. There are warning labels on products, heart-healthy menu options, runs and walks and magazines, and all kinds of public support and education. Prevention is key to reducing the number of deaths associated with those illnesses. But there still isn't the same perceived urgency or level of public concern and buy-in to teach and know the warning signs of and treatments for serious mental illnesses. Do you realize it typically takes 10 years from the time symptoms of a mental illness first appear and when a person gets a correct diagnosis and proper treatment? 10 years, Terry. Jeez. The National Organization Mental Health America promotes a before stage four philosophy, advocating for education, prevention, and early intervention. Quoting from their website, when people first begin to experience symptoms, such as loss of sleep, feeling tired for no reason, feeling low, feeling anxious, or hearing voices, we should act by ignoring those symptoms we lose 10 years in which we could intervene in order to change people's lives for the better. Mm. It's, it is, I think it'd be front page news the way COVID is if people were waiting 10 years. I don't know if they'd still be alive, which is an interesting point. You know, if they had signs of heart disease and, and didn't, didn't address it because they thought maybe people would judge them or it wasn't real or, you know, all the many reasons that somebody doesn't get help for a mental illness. It's just shocking. Including that they don't even recognize it as a mental illness, right? They've already fused and identified so closely with it that it just becomes 
who you think you are. And that's not a them thing. That was a me thing. I mean, that was I, a me thing. Yeah, I'm speaking exactly. me too. Yes. I mean, I just I'm I'm still a little bit surprised at that because. A, I'd had it before, and B, like, I know how to Google things. I, you know, I live on WebMD. I I'd never looked up the symptoms of my own depression because I just thought it was me. Yeah, it, that's because of its cunning ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really scary. Yesterday, we posted about this episode on our Facebook support page, asking if people have experienced judgment or discrimination. One of our more than 9,400 fabulous, supportive, and engaged community members, Amber, wrote, I just want to say that I most definitely get discriminated against for being on Social Security disability because I have bipolar depression. If I said I have MS, people would give me a sympathetic look and acknowledge that it's okay. And then she notes, I do not wish to have MS. It's just an example I'm using for the first physical illness that popped into my head. It's just so hard with the judgments, like I'm less than for being on disability, for my very real illness. It's frustrating. <laughs> That's a lot to add to already feeling the many things that depression, and in her case, she called it bipolar depression, we often call it bipolar disorder, make us feel it's just too much. It's a lot. So we want to thank all the guests who contributed their voices to this episode. If you would like your voice heard about this topic or any other moving forward, you can go to our website, givingvoicetodepression.com, and look for the red record widget in the upper left corner. There you can record and send us a message about your experience of depression, maybe a question you'd like addressed in a future episode, or let us know how the experiences our guests share here have maybe helped you manage your own depression. All right, everybody, take good care of yourselves, and we'll be back next week. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.